Welcome to the Shannon Plan. This is episode 94, episode Justin Smith. For those of you unfamiliar with the cowboy, once upon a time, he lit 15 pieces of furniture on fire. So don't do that. That is my advice to you. Oh, whatever you're doing this summer, this weekend, do not light your house on fire. My name is Kyle Posey. I am joined by a special guest who has been off the map a little bit, Akash Anabarathan. Akash, where have you been? What's up, KP? I have been off the radar. I was in uh, Asia for a work trip for a couple of weeks. So I was literally off the radar because they disconnect you from like everything. But I'm back now, back in the States, back at home. Happy to join you. We've got uh, NBA Finals Game 3 later tonight. Who you got winning today? I'm going to bet on the Warriors. Um, Smart bet. I've done that three games in a row, or I've done that two games in a row. Got burned once. <laughs> uh, not so much last game, but I think uh, I think they bounced back. They've won. I think they've won every game three. Uh, who, who do you got? What are you thinking here? I got Warriors, too. I think, yeah, I just got the Warriors tonight. I think they... Game one was, I wouldn't say fluky, but Boston had just an insanely hot shooting quarter, and I feel like that skewed people's perception, and I think they got the game tonight. Yeah, that's a good point. So everybody, you always remember the last thing you saw, and that's why I bet on the Warriors last game. Like like they, People forget that they had the lead going into the fourth quarter. Like Boston didn't miss a shot, and that's why they won. So the odds that that was going to be sustainable or happen again just slimmed to none. So Kyle Shanahan was at Warriors game. I believe he's been at both. Um, but he was asked, you know, if he if he picked up in any coaching tips or you know what his kind of feel was being at the game. And naturally, you're not going to be able to hear anything that they're saying. But I'm disappointed that nobody asked him, what were you drinking? Because it was clear that he had a beverage in his hand. He tried to bend over and hide it as the camera started to pan in and zoom zoom in on him. My guess is Miller Lite, just because that's <laughs> that's what I think Kyle Shanahan drinks. What do you think Kyle Shanahan was drinking? Really? I think it was like a vodka soda that ah. he was probably just thrown back. But, uh, you know, if you – I've never sat in those, like, courtside row one, row two seats. But, you know, he was sitting right behind the bench. Clearly, you got to put your, like, drink probably on the ground. I'm sure they've got no space to put it there. And so it was pretty funny, but you made the joke. It feels like he only has like two outfits in his closet. He legitimately wears the same clothes every time he leaves the house, man. Like there's, we have evidence and somebody should put this together, but uh, you always see that black jacket, that freaking black jacket from Coles. And there's. It's, it's a great sign. You know, I want my football coach to be thinking football 24 seven. This, this man does not spend any time thinking about his closet or his outfits he just throws on the same thing and he goes that is such a coaching attire just because they're used to only wearing dry fit so naturally they have like three or four outfits to go to okay now we're at mandatory minicamp and the 49ers move that up and Kyle Shannon kind of talked about this as well where he said you know it it doesn't really matter he just views them all as, as practices it was kind of interesting because he also said he was asked you know what's the difference between now when players aren't wearing pads by the way nick bosa was practicing with football pants on no pads on just football pants so a real football guy there but um that was that was so bizarre to me because you see the rest of the defensive line just in like comfortable shorts uh, and then you see like gold pants on another guy but 
when you're Nick Bosa, I guess you can wear and do whatever you want. But anyway, so just talking about Kyle Shanahan and um, he said he was talking about, you know, our guys still have to win in a certain way. They still have to win with their hands, they still have to win with their feet and whatnot. But that, you wouldn't think like that because one of the reasons that I'm not there is, you know, these guys, they're, they're not going to be able to hit each other. I want to see contact. I don't want to see, um, you know, just guys practicing without pads on helmets and I just feel like the element is different. Like your your mindset changes when you have pads on. Um, I don't know if you saw that quote. Did, did you did you see it? And what did you make of it when he said, um, yeah, th- this is the same. Like it, it's still football. I did. And I think he's thinking from, you know, the perspective that even though there aren't pads, you know, there isn't contact. There's still a lot to be gained uh, from these practice days, especially for a young quarterback like Trey Lance. You know, going through his progressions, knowing where to go with the ball, building, you know, chemistry with his receivers, et cetera. I think it's still valuable. I wouldn't say it's the same as, you know, training camp when pads do come on. There's clearly a difference, uh, a change of mentality, like you said. But I, I understand where, where Shanahan's coming from, especially a football coach. I think you're trying to get in as much practice as possible, especially now these days in the NFL, the practice time has been reduced uh off season ota time has been reduced there used to be like double days there's none of that so i'm sure he's trying to make as much use of the you know the three days that he gets here so we all know that d4 is probably not gonna be on the roster and shanahan cemented that so on tuesday he said i think he's gonna come in and he's been excused from mini camp he's gonna come in and get a physical later this week but he's not doing anything with us and then later on shanahan continued i'm not sure just as far as you know whether it's going to be released what's if he's going if ford is going to retire like what's the plan for ford shanahan said quote i'm not sure i know that we've gotten a good bill of health from his doctor and how good he is in the spot we're going to check in we're going to check him out with our physician physical and i do not expect him to be on our team but those are the three options that could happen in quote so that phrasing do anything with us on our team it just makes it sound like ford is a thing of the past and we are we kind of knew this and you know their moves this offseason also kind of suggested that they're gonna move on from ford but i think it's over uh the uh the d ford dream is finally over and although it's still going to be on the books for a couple more seasons for i think uh, nine hundred twenty thousand over the next couple seasons in dead money but um just the way that, the way that he's talked about him, it uh, are, I guess there's not really anything to be surprised about. Did you think that Ford ever had a shot of playing this season? No, I don't think so. I think honestly, ever since the 2020 season when he went down with like the neck and the back injury and he was just disappeared, you thought basically his career with the 49ers was was derailed. As you we were talking there, I was looking looking up his contract details. He's made $42 million with the 49ers for nine and a half sacks. And I think he's played 18 games total in the last three seasons. It's just been brutal contract. They traded a second round pick for him. Uh, you know, I, th- I think the process was right in, in the trade for D Ford. And uh, obviously they had uh, acquired the right type of player, but it's just a move that just hasn't panned out. And unfortunately I wish they cut bait a few years ago rather than hoping that he eventually get healthy and trying to restructure that deal multiple times to save the cap hit, but it's just backfired badly the last few seasons. Uh, hopefully their rookie wide receiver does not backfire. So Danny Gray, and I, I mean, there's nothing really to make of this, but Danny Gray tweaked his hamstring last week in OTAs and 
Kyle Shannon said that's why he's been out this week, and he's probably not going to practice next week as well. I mean, the last thing you want is a speed guy who, you know, doesn't have <laughs> – he doesn't have his hammies. He can't run, can't open up and run. You don't want these injuries to linger. The 49ers moved up despite what Kyle Shanahan said. <laughs> they moved up their o- or minicamp last year because of injuries. and I thought they canceled it. Or they, they canceled it, my mistake, yeah. So, And he, he uh, kind of pushed back on that answer when he was asked about that yesterday. But, I mean, first mandatory minicamp and, you know, your rookie, who I imagine will have a prominent role in some regards at least. But he's not practicing. Is there anything that we should worry about? Or is it just something, and obviously they're going to take care of, they're going to be smart with it, but these practices mean something. But having these guys healthy 100% and ready to go for training camp is what really matters. But Danny Gray is not practicing. Danny Gray has a tweak hammy. These are the 49ers. This happens every year in the offseason or in these offseason programs. So it's not something that we can just ignore. No, I don't think you just say, oh, it's just, you know, a one-time thing. Danny Gray's going to be all right. I think, you know, it feels like with the 49ers, whenever their receivers especially have these soft tissue injuries, like a quad, a hammy, whatever it is, it just bothers them like through the off season, through the season, whatever the case is. And it almost feels like it derails a portion of their season. So hopefully that isn't the case with Danny Gray, especially because like you mentioned, as a speed receiver, you know, you, you have to have uh, healthy hammies, quads, et cetera, to be able to really fly down the field and, We've seen that with little speed guys in the past, right? Like whether it's Deshaun Jackson or Monkeys Goodwin or all these guys um, have been plagued by this type of injury in the past. So hopefully it isn't a sign of things to come with Danny Gray. Um, Because clearly the one skill he exhibited was his speed. And that's one thing that everyone noted. So it's it's something that the 49ers offense does not have without Danny Gray. I don't think they have another speedster necessarily on the roster. So, uh, it's something they certainly covet of, you know, his ability. So hopefully he's gets healthy and is able to be on the field uh, for training camp. It isn't something that continues to bother him going into the season. All right. So Debo Samuel was there, but he wasn't there. So Debo Samuel didn't participate in any of the drills. He was just on the side running, which, I mean, is to be expected. Kyle Shannon didn't really want to talk about whether negotiations were going on. He said they always talk. And like he said, I'm not going to get into that with you guys. And you can ask Debo for himself. Um, No real surprise there. But he also talked about their relationship. And here's what he said. So um, when asked, you know, is the relationship on the men? Like, are you guys able to, you know, what do you want to keep intact? He said, quote, no, I don't think so. I don't think my personal relationships ever get in line with what I do for a living. You have to have personal relationships to coach people and to get the most out of them, not just players, but everyone in the building. So I think everyone does that. But you also are not trying to just collect friends. Um, he, he went on to just talk about how they are in a good spot. And he brought up Instagram, he brought up social media. Uh, he said, when I think of a relationship with someone, that has to do with me and him. Not statements, not Instagram, not people repeating stuff. It has to do with the words that come out of my mouth to a man and him back to me and nothing else. And that's never been a problem with me and him. So it sounds like they are in a good spot in that regard. What was your takeaway when Shanahan took it to that level? I think Kyle Shanahan and Debo Samuel have always had a good relationship in the sense that, you know, they've got a good professional relationship. I think 
during the season. I think Debo Samuel spent a lot of time with Kyle Shanahan in, in his office. I think Debo Samuel became a new father this past year, so I'm sure that was an experience they could both relate upon. But at the same time, they do understand that it's a business, and when you get into the offseason, you get into contract negotiations, all that stuff, you know, while they'll still have a good personal relationship, they're still trying to figure out the business side of things to make make it work on both sides. So, you know, there's an understanding there that, okay, Debo Samuel's trying to do what's best for him, his side. Shanahan's trying to do what's best for the 49ers. And I, I think they both understand that, at least now. Uh, and they can both, you know, respect where the other party's coming from. And I think everyone, all the other players kind of see that too. And that's why I don't understand why people are trying to make such a big deal out of what the vibe is like or what Debo is like with the other players. It's not like they're isolating him or they're, you know, putting them in a corner or he's doing whatever he wants. Right. I think everyone on the team understands this situation. He's trying to get paid. He's trying to sign a deal that will completely change his life. And, you know, he's trying to do what's best for himself. So I think everyone kind of understands the circumstances. And I don't think, I think it felt like people and by people, I mean, people asking the questions were trying to make a bigger deal of it than it really was. It was, I thought it was good of him to show up, right? I think it shows some maturity on his level to be like, okay, you know, we're going through negotiations. I'm not going to hold out and show up, uh, not get fined. But I, I don't think there's anything past it to read into. What do you think? Yeah, and I think the money has, you know, the bigger that's the big story here. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he would ninety three thousand. Is it was that all together? Yeah, so it's like fourteen thirty and like forty five, I think, and it adds up to like ninety three, roughly. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was my big take. Well, he's not gonna, he's not gonna sacrifice, you know, whatever dollar amount it is, and there's no real reason for him to miss, especially if he's already here, if he's in the Bay Area, and if he just has to run along the side, why not? For an hour. Yeah. Like it's, that's another thing. Like these practices, they're not grueling two and a half hour practices, um, light padded or light non padded practices where he doesn't have to wear pads on the side and he's just sprinting up and down the field. So, um, and, and by the way, when I say sprint, he's sprinting one way and then he just gets to walk back. So it's not like he is, you know, running marathons out there. Okay. Speaking of receivers, Juwan Jennings had quite uh, – Shanahan spoke very highly of him. He also said some some nice things about uh, Brandon, but let's start with Juwan Jennings. So where's the confidence from you as a play caller when you watch him play is what Shanahan was asked. And he said, quote, I'm extremely confident in Juwan. I think if anyone watched our games at the end of last year, not many people covered him, which is true. I mean, we saw what the Rams did. Um, he got open. He had aggressive hands. He got up the field. He blocked well. Juwan was a guy we had a lot of hope coming in for, coming into stuff. He had some setbacks with injuries, but once he got healthy and once he got his opportunity with Mo, so Mo Sanu went down last year, he took off. And this offseason, him and B.A., Brandon Ayuk, the first day they got here, they had as good as an offseason as they've had since they got in the league. And they're as good as they've been right now, both of them. Big news. Uh, the 49ers need both of those guys to step up. Um, they are pretty young at the wide receiver spot. And I don't think we're really talking about that much. Like, yeah, like this, I think he's kind of a senior citizen, and he's been in the league for three years. So, like, we know that these guys are talented. We've seen Juwan Jennings produce. We've seen Brandon Ayuk produce. We've seen Debo produce. But there is still um, some inexperience there. that You can't just ignore that. So it sounds like Shanahan's seeing the growth, and not just on the field, but 
you know, taking the next step as far as taking care of their bodies. And I imagine that leads into you know, asking questions in the meeting room and all that good stuff. So uh, what was your takeaway when you when you saw Shanahan praise these two? I was kind of surprised because Kyle Shanahan doesn't often praise his players, right? It feels like he Rarely. goes the other route. <laughs> yeah. It feels like he goes the other way, honestly. And if someone's playing well, he just is like, yeah, yeah, you know, is just very even keel about those things in the past. And sometimes yeah, he's often more critical than uh, complimentary. So it was surprising to see what he said about Jennings. And, and you know, the, the part that stood out to me is when he basically said, if you watched our games at the end of the last season, you know how valuable he was. And all you have to do is watch week 18 and know that the two, two of the biggest plays in the game, they went to Juwan Jennings. The Debo Samuel touchdown throw for whatever, 30 yards down the right sideline to Juwan Jennings. And then the game tying touchdown, uh, I believe, was also to Juwan Jennings. So clearly they valued him last season. It looks like he's done a good job of staying in shape, staying prepared this offseason and coming in. Sounded like he had a big red zone day uh, on Tuesday at practice. And so hoping he just develops into a solid number three contributor. But it's pretty crazy that they found. Kendrick Bourne as an undrafted free agent, and now Jawan Jennings as a seventh rounder to contribute. Uh, I'd say that's pretty good value. So Shannon said about Jennings, he said, well, first of all, he was asked something benefits him is his body type, and it's because it's so much different from the other guys. And Shannon said, quote, it's all how you use it. He, he does have a bigger body, but he plays big. He's fearless going over the middle, but that doesn't matter if you can't separate. And what's cool about Jawan is – he has got some unique running styles, but just watch him. He separates more than probably all of our guys, which is wow. Like I would think Brandon Ayuk separates better than all these guys. And, and I don't know if maybe he's talking about consistently. Maybe he's trying to challenge Ayuk and say, hey, this seventh rounder is better than you at this. And we need you to be the, the guy, the top guy. So step your game up. I think it's all different just because Jennings separates maybe underneath on those you know, uh, two-way go routes. Whereas Ayuk, yep. you know, he's on the outside going against stiffer competition is what I would say. Either way, it's high praise for Jennings. Do you think that there is a scenario where Danny Gray outshines Jennings this year? Or is it just is it Jennings' role to to hold on to? I think it's Jennings' role to hold on to. And maybe that's a little prisoner of the moment, given the fact that Gray was on the sideline with a Theragun and Jennings was dominating on Tuesday. But you know, I'm going to side with the NFL player that has I've seen with my two eyes be successful in this offense, be valuable, catch red zone touchdowns, catch massive third down passes when, you know, it's like crunch time. And I haven't seen that from Danny Gray, so I'm going to I'm going to lean that Jennings has a bigger and better season. But we'll see. I think they're going to contribute in different ways. I think so, too. And I think that's going to be the fun part of this offense is we're going to have so many contrasting styles and so many different types of players contributing. And, and that helps when you have a quarterback who can hit these guys all over the field. Okay. Let's take a break. And when we come back. We're going to talk about 13 questions to determine how deep this roster is. And if you would still root for the 49ers, knowing that they would never win another Super Bowl. All right, we are back and let's talk about the depth of the roster. So, 49ers are projected to win about 10 and a half, nine and a half games, depending on where you go. For that to happen, they're probably going to have to rely on their depth. No matter how you slice, no matter how much confidence you have in, you know, this player, that player, there are injuries. There are injuries on every team and teams have to fight through attrition. 
Nobody knows that like the 49ers, and we've seen that over the past couple seasons. Um, so way back when in 2014, Pat Kerwin, CBS Sports writer, he came up with 13 questions that really helps you assess the depth on the roster. So we're going to go through those and see how the 49ers stack up. So you get two points for a yes, you get one point for a probably, and you get zero points for no. All right. First question. Does your team have a capable backup quarterback that can go at least two and two in a four game stretch? Okay. So this is a layered question because Jimmy Garoppolo is still on the roster. You do not get to count Jimmy Garoppolo. So Akash, Nate Sudfeld, Brock Purdy, are they winning two games? Are they going to go Nick Mullins, CJ Beathard and sneak out a game? It, the tough part about that is look at the schedule. Like where are those two games coming from in a four game stretch? What do you think? That's exactly what I thought when you posed the question. I'm like, where, like, I guess it depends on what stretch of four games, but really if it's not early in the season, it's going to be tough for them to find a four game stretch where you can win two games with the Nate Sudfeld or Brock Purdy. I mean, Nate Sudfeld was the quarterback that the Eagles put in, in a game that they purposely wanted to tank. Right. Was that a couple of years ago, 2020, 2019, and everyone kind of freaked out. And so I feel like because Nate Sudfeld really hasn't played in any meaningful, you know, reps, people haven't seen him and they don't know like what type of player he is. I feel like he's been really struggling during these OTAs. And I feel like no one's talking about it because he's just a backup quarterback. But I, that gives me no confidence that he's going to win two games in a four game stretch. I, I think I would say no. I don't see them winning two games in a four-game stretch with uh, Nate Sunfeld, even if the defense is really good, even if they're able to run the ball, et cetera. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing that. Yeah, you'd have to have, like, Debo have one of those takeover games where he just takes a screen pass to the house, or you're getting turnovers on defense. So, like, the four – if you're looking at four-game stretches, it'd have to be early on in the season. So you have, like, Seahawks. Um, you have Falcons, I believe. Or sorry, the Panthers and the Falcons are back to back later in the season than early on in the season. Still, but there's there's so much variance early on in the season that I I just wouldn't I I think the world of this roster. I think they are very deep. I think they're one of the best rosters in the NFL. I don't think they're going to win with a seventh round quarterback or a guy who just hasn't played in a few seasons. I don't think that's too much of a stretch. So no zero points. All right. Number two, does your team have a real swing offensive tackle, a guy that can play left or right and has experience? For me, this was yes. And that so the 49ers invested heavily in their offensive line. And you know, that's a great thing. And heading into 2022, they have so you have Justin School, you have Jalen Moore, who's a guard, but obviously he played tackle last year. Uh, you have Daniel Brunskill, who we don't even know where he's going to play yet. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, th I think yes, just because of those names, and you know they do have experience. What do you think? I'm gonna lean yes for the same reasons. And the first name that popped up in my head was Justin Skule, uh, someone that they played at tackle in the past. He's gonna be a backup uh, offensive tackle behind Trent Williams and Mike Glinchy this year. So I think they have someone that they believe can kind of fill that void. Um, I know Colton McKivitz, uh, I believe he played left tackle, right, in that week 18 game against the Rams uh, in place of Trent Williams. So uh, another candidate there. 
So I do think they have a, a swing tackle in the event, you know, Mike McGlinchey or Trent Williams or one of those guys goes, goes down. Uh, hopefully those guys stay healthy uh, this season, especially 71. But I think the 49ers feel comfortable in that spot if they had to play one of those guys. Man, just watching clips of Trent Williams run and at minicamps, like, whoa, this dude, man, his athleticism is just not normal. Guys are not supposed to move like that, even at his age. Okay, next question. Does your team have a solid inside offensive lineman that can play guard or center? And this is where I went, Daniel Brunskill. This is where you could also look at the like litany of guys who they brought in. So you have Donovan West, you have Jason Poe, you have Spencer Burford. And like even if Daniel Brunskill starts at center, they have Jake Brindle, who apparently is the greatest center of all time, who has never played a snap. Um, they've been they've been hiding him, stashing him. Chris Forrester brought him over from Miami, and he, like he has been starting, but I don't know if that's just because Brunskill's not there. But either way, there are names, and I would feel comfortable with them playing. So I gave this a yes. What do you think? I'm gonna lean yes as well. Um, whether that's Dan Brunskill, like you mentioned, Jake Prendel. Aaron Banks, who looks like he's in better shape this season and uh, has been playing at left guard. Uh, maybe we'll hit on it later, but Trent Williams seemed to give him uh, a stamp of approval. So I think they've got multiple guys uh, along the interior. I think there's going to be competition. I don't think it's quite um, as good as years past that, you know, whether it was Alex Mack or whether it was, Western Richburg, they've had better players along the interior in the past, but I think they've got solid guys um, that should, with Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey, form a pretty good offensive line. This question had to be made for the 49ers. It's, is there a quality second running back that can deliver a 100-yard rushing day if he has to start? So if the 49ers have no have to answer this question no, then there is a real problem. So let's let's assume that Elijah Mitchell's the starter. They drafted a running back in the third round this year. They drafted a running back in the third round last year. If both of your backup third round running backs cannot get you 100 yards, then we've got issues. I think yes. I think that Ty Davis is going to have a 100-yard rushing game this year. Uh, can I say the same for Trey Sermon? But if he does get an opportunity, I imagine he will be a lot better this time around, just being more comfortable. And mind you, with the quarterback, there's going to be much better rushing performances because there's not going to be 12 people in the box trying to take away the middle of the field. So I just think the offense is going to just look a lot more cleaner and run more smoother, even if the quarterback isn't as experienced as last year. So I, I would confidently say yes, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are multiple running backs with 100-yard games. This season. I think their rushing attack is going to go to another level this year. What do you think? Absolutely agree. Honestly, I was thinking are there are four running backs on this roster that could get 100 yards. Jeff Wilson Jr., he's done it. Elijah Mitchell, he's done it. And then Ty Davis-Price, we think he can do it just given what he's shown in college, given the type of runner he is. And in this system, you figure he's going to get the opportunity to be able to do that um, in one of the games. And then the real question mark is Trey Sermon. So I, I think there's more than two running backs on this roster that can get 100 yards. And I think that's more of a product of the system, coaching, offensive line, scheme, et cetera, than it is just, you know, the running back itself. Who has the most 100-yard games this season? Elijah Mitchell. I'm going TDP. TDP. But I, 
I, I imagine it'll be a coin flip. The why I say that, I just I'm not sure Elijah Mitchell will hold up based on last year, which is only a one year sample size, and I hope I'm wrong. But um, next question: Is there a good second tight end on the roster? Oh, good is an ultimate qualifier here. So how do you view Ross Dwelly? How do you view uh, Charlie Warner? I'm not going to call them good. I'm going to call them serviceable. I'm going to call them competent. I actually think Charlie Warner is a fantastic blocker, well above average blocker. But when I, whenever I watched him play, at least last year, I feel like some of the production just came from him just running straight. Like he's not winning with his individual talent. He's just winning because the scheme allows him to win. So because of that, I, I said no here. Uh, what, what do you think? I'd probably agree with you. It's hard for me to say Ross Dwelly, Charlie Warner, Tyler Croft. Um, you know, one of these guys is quote unquote good. But that being said, because they've got George Kittle, I think the tight end room as a whole is, you know, skewed to be better just because they have one of the more dominant tight ends uh, in the NFL in that, in that room. But outside of that, I have a hard time saying they've got a good second tight end, but you know, how many teams truly have two good tight ends? feels like it's hard to find and, um, you know, hard to pay and keep those guys. Finding one tight end is tough. It's, yeah. It doesn't seem like, you know, half a league has even one tight end. So uh, it's a stretch to find two. Okay. Can a third wide receiver step up and start in two wide receiver packages if a wide receiver goes down? So this is essentially how do you feel about Juwan Jennings? How do you feel about Danny Gray? And mind you, John Jennings now has to win on the outside where things are a bit different. So what, what do you think? I think I'd feel comfortable with Jawan Jennings in that spot if he had to step in for a couple of games if Debo Samuel missed time or Brandon Ayuk missed time. It really drops off after that just because of lack of experience and lack of reps. Um, and it's just be- becomes a giant question mark. So like you mentioned earlier, the wide receiver room is young. It's a lot younger than I think we think. Just because they've had some vets in the past, they've had guys like Mosanu, Travis Benjamin. They've just had some names that you've heard of and seen on Sundays, whereas that's not the case. Um, and so I, internally, I think they have confidence in that wide receiver room beyond the top three guys. But I feel like until we see it, it's hard to say that, yes, there's going to be guys that can step up and play. Yeah, and I'm not going to give them that type of projection. So I said, no, I don't think that John Jennings is a player who can win on the outside. I think his lack of speed would really hurt him there just because when you can't run the full route tree, when, when you, when you cannot threaten with speed vertically, uh, your life is just a lot easier as a cornerback. So, um, and then you, you mentioned the inexperience from Danny Gray earlier. So that leads me to a no. And, you know, I think Jennings is fine. But that's as, you know, inside as a slot receiver. All right. Does your team have a designated pass rush specialist who can play early downs if need be? The 49ers have like 17 pass rushers on their roster. So, yes, is the answer here for me. Um, under the assumption that Bosa and Ebukam starts, that means you're talking Kerry Hyder, uh, Kimiko Ture, Charles Aminahue, Drake Jackson. One of those guys could be fine playing early downs. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if one of those guys even takes a a next step, like whether it's a mini, whether it's Jackson and really carves a rollout for themselves this year. So I, I like the pass rush. I mean, I think they, they're, they're in good hands with a coach. They've already produced whenever they get a chance to play. So this one's pretty easy for me. Pretty simple. Best unit on the team. I believe they've got 
plenty of pass rush specialists that can play early downs against the run if need be. Okay, moving inside, same question. Is there – if – no, is there a defensive tackle that not only plays in the rotation but could play a whole game if need be? So the 49ers are pretty spoiled with Eric Armstead. He played 76% of the snaps last season, and that is a ton, especially for a guy who's playing inside. So you have Javon Kinlaw, you have Armstead. After that, we're looking at Mo Hurst, Hassan Ridgeway, Kevin Gibbons. They drafted Clea Davis in the sixth round. He's going to start the season on the pup list. So Ridgeway played 33% of the snaps last year. He played 53% of the snaps in 2019. So he has he has plenty of experience where he plays essentially half the game. Ice, again, yes, just because Chris Cossier gets the bump. Um, like if we're talking about benefits of the doubt, benefit of the doubt. Chris Cossier definitely falls in that category, but I mean, Hurst, he just has to stay healthy and then he's going to be fine. So I, I like where they're at in the interior as well. And of, of course, you know, it's nice to have a luxury known as Armstead, but I think that their depth is very good as well. This is just a matter of health. Can Javon Kinlaw, Son Ridgeway, all these guys just stay healthy, Mo Hurst on the field? Then I think this is a yes, a slam dunk yes. Easy, easy peasy when we're talking about the defensive line. All right, let's 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 work to the secondary. Is there a quality nickel corner on the roster since most teams are 50% sub-defenses? And this was back in 2014. So nowadays it's like 70%. Um, K1 Williams no longer on the roster. We don't know what's going to happen in the slot. You know, they could bump Emmanuel Mosley in. We could see one of the rookies, Samuel Womack. Um, they could go a couple of different directions. I mean, probably. Yeah, they have the veteran, Darquez Denard in there. Um, I lean probably just because, like, Denard played down the stretch. Um, Could he, like, would he be able to sustain that over the course of the season to be determined? It would be nice if Jason Verrett was starting on the outside, and that way Mosley could slide in inside. Charverius Ward actually played in the slot quite a bit in Kansas City, and obviously he's not going to do that for the 49ers consistently. But you have guys who can win inside. So because of that, I said probably. What do you think? I'd probably lean the same. I think they've got, you know, options they can throw at the nickel corner spot, just like you mentioned. Um, feels like Denard is kind of the under-the-radar dark horse candidate to start a nickel corner. Uh, we talk about some of the more obvious options, right? Whether that's slide Emmanuel Mosley in, if Jason Verrett's on the outside, or just kick him inside for, um, you know, nickel downs and you play Henry Thomas on the outside. Uh, maybe they go one of the rookies, whether that's Sam Womack, uh, D'Amador Lenore, who feels like he's going to get cut this offseason, but also candidate to start in, in the slot. But so I think there's options. It just stands to be seen who kind of rises above the rest in competition here in OTAs and training camp and really, you know, takes a hold of that starting spot. Uh, there's just no clear-cut starter like K1 Williams in the past on this team. Yeah, and I imagine they're just going to work itself out during training camp. Somebody has to step up. Somebody's going to have an opportunity to step up. So that'll be fun to monitor and to see it unfold. Is there a fourth corner for dime packages? And D'Amico Ryans loves, you know, putting six, seven defensive backs on the field. So I mentioned – you know, Traverius Ward, Jason Red, Emmanuel Mosley. You have Amber Thomas. You have Samuel Womack. You have lifetime contract haver Dante Johnson. So there are options. Tariq Castro Fields, maybe. Diamond Lenore, maybe. 
for me, with this pass rush, it doesn't matter. So probably was my answer, even though, you know, we're dealing with a bunch of unknowns. Who do you think would be the fourth corner? Let's assume Amanda Mosley, Traverius, Ward, Jason Verrett are your three corners. Eileen Amory Thomas is probably the leading candidate to be the fourth corner. You know, he's bulked up a little bit this offseason, felt like he was playing better down the stretch, uh, had an offseason under his belt. It feels like he's got more confidence this year. I think he would probably be the leading candidate. And then you got a bunch of unknowns, right? Whether that's you've got a couple rookies there, Tariq Castrofield, Samuel Womack, and then Lenore. And then you got a veteran in Dante Johnson and uh, Dark Weston Mart. So, there's competition at the spot, so I think the answer to the question would be yes. Um, and I would lean Thomas as that fourth guy. Yeah, I think so too. That that would be a good spot for Thomas. You know, obviously you're hoping everybody else stays healthy, but that that would allow him to play just enough where he's still getting reps and still be able to develop without having to be, you know, like a burden or um, allowing offenses to have a guy to pick on. So uh, a couple more here. Is there a third safety for big nickel defenses? You have George Odom, who has starter experience. You have Tavares Moore, who actually started games for the 49ers before he went down with a season-ending Achilles injury. And in, even in 2019, Moore was playing, you know, as that third safety where they would essentially use him as a slot corner. I think that is an ideal role for him. And I think, you know, if, especially if he gets his athleticism and speed back, that would be the best-case scenario to get all of your – just to get speed on the field and hopefully the way that they're talking about Tal Nofunga, um, he's going to take his game to another level. So uh, what do you think? Is there, are you giving Odom and Moore uh, the benefit of the doubt here? I think so. Um, given the fact that Odom actually had, you know, uh, reps at the safety position for the Colts. So not only was he a good special teamer, he was a backup safety as well. So I think he can, be a capable third safety and he has the athleticism to play the spot. Tarverius Moore, it just depends on his health, right? How how does he look post Achilles? Speed was his big kind of claim to fame, his 4-3, 40-yard dash time. Does he still have that post Achilles? Who knows? So, But I think they've got a couple guys, so I probably probably. And we have not talked about special teams. Hopefully this season we don't spend a lot of time talking about special teams, especially after last year. So is there a return specialist who can either handle punts and kick returns or contribute as a real position player? That Ray, Ray designation McLeod. is going to go to Ray, Ray McLeod. So Brandon, he was supposed to be this punt returner. He got a, he got a couple opportunities. I remember his rookie year. He had a couple nice ones, but that was until late in the season. Last season, uh, he had some troubles and fielding the ball was one of them. So now into Ray, Ray McLeod. Uh, he, I mean, he, he has good numbers, but he also, I mean, he has some, he, I've seen him fumble the ball. Um, I've seen him look unsure. Hopefully you, you know, that's just a thing of the past. I, I lean yes, just because again, like he, he's so fast and he does have good enough numbers where I actually gave him a probably now that I'm looking at it. Um, so maybe, maybe I'm a little more concerned than others, but he's going to be an upgrade from what they've had. Let, let's just say that. 100% agree. I, I think the fumbles are the biggest question mark because that's been an issue in the past. So can you protect the ball? Otherwise, I feel like they've got good return. And then and then you got Ayuk, uh, who can step in a pinch if need be. But I think it's better than what they had the last few seasons. So I'd say yes. Lastly, 
does your team have a special teams linebacker that leads the specials and can play inside linebacker in a pinch? That's uh, George they, Kittle's friend, Orrin Burks' music. Yeah, buddy. So they're actually relatively deep at linebacker. So not just Orrin Burks, but Demetrius Flanagan folds safety convert. Uh, he's started games for the team, and he's been a special teams ace for them as well. So they have – and. Uh, I believe it was last week or the week before D'Amico Ryan's name, like three rookie linebackers uh, who who has caught his eye as well. So they're in good hands just all along the roster. When, when you're answering these questions, it gives you an idea that, dang, this team does have depth. This team, you know, would be able to survive a game or two if a player went down. Obviously, that's not something that you want to rely on, but it happens. It's the NFL, and there's no way around it. So it's it's good to know that, you know, this team can survive those type of injuries all right the last thing before we get out of here is one of the questions that we asked uh just our staff would you still root for the 49ers knowing that they would never win a super bowl so think about it as you complain after a loss as you get high like as the highs of the highs of the highs and lows of the lows all of that's for not because they're not going to win it all so if you you're going to these playoff games you're seeing how things are unfolding. You think that they might have a chance. Even if the 49ers are up 17-0 in the NFC Championship, they're not going to win. You know they're not going to win. That would drive you in crazy. That would drive you crazy. But all of our staff said that they would still root for the 49ers no matter what. And it's easy because you can take your experiences from rooting for other teams. And shoot, Akash, you've, you're not old enough to have seen the 49ers win a Super Bowl, so you have no, you don't know anything else. And that that's a good example. But oh, what's your take on this? I think I think I'd still continue to root for the team if I knew they were never going to win a Super Bowl again. Because I think, you know, that's part of the fun with with sports is is the unknown. And now, even though that's kind of been taken away because you know your team isn't going to win, I think you're still in it for the ride the roller coaster that is their season if they were in a situation where they were up 17-0 in an nsc championship game it'd be driving you nuts in terms of like how does this thing end that they don't win it win it all but I, I think that's part of the enjoyment you know like you mentioned my lifetime i've never seen them win a super bowl yet i still continue to root for them um and they've gotten close a handful of times but i've fallen short and as as tough as that's been it's still I've seen enough good football. I've seen it as, as a 49ers fan. I feel like we've seen a lot more good football than certain teams. I feel like certain teams are just constantly in, in you know, bottom of the barrel, just have not produced good teams at all. Whereas the 49ers have had a couple of runs where under Harbaugh and under Shanahan here the last few seasons, they've had really good teams that have been really competitive. And that is just the NFL with the one game tournament in the playoffs. It's just kind of have to, you know, catch fire at the right time. and uh, you know, takes a lot to win a Super Bowl. So I'd still root for them, even if I knew they'd never win again. Yeah, just just a fun question that, you know, I imagine most people would say yes, just because by now you've been inundated in everything 49ers. So if you've made it this far, you're probably not going to quit anytime soon. So um, thanks for listening. That'll do it for us today. Please rate, subscribe, review, leave us five stars, wherever it is you get your 49ers podcast. Uh, my name's Kyle. You can follow me on Twitter, KP underscore show. Akash, yourself. You can follow me at Twitter at A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. Appreciate everyone listening. Rate, subscribe, review, United Station Podcast Network, and go next.